Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Now, I didn't know, didn't realize, that for Southern Baptists and for many others, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Because I don't, I don't read the Sunday school lesson before I work on the sermon. I, I, I see what verses we're talking about, and uh, then I begin working on the sermon. And uh, So I saw that it was uh, a couple of passages in Ezekiel for, for this morning in our Connect group, and then the passage from Psalms. And I, I didn't want to do all of those passages. I wanted to focus on one and uh, felt like the Lord was leading me to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, and looked at that and I'm like, oh, okay, this is the, the pro-life verse or, or one of them. And then I went back and looked at the uh, quarterly, the curriculum, and oh, okay. And then I saw somewhere that this Sunday was it's probably social media, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. like, oh, well, now it all makes sense. Well, this is not a Sanctity of Human Life message this morning. That wasn't the, the plan. It wasn't the direction I was going. But turns out, as I said, Psalm 139, 13 especially, uh, but the whole passage, is probably the most widely used verse by pro-life uh, anti-abortion advocates. And that's, that's good and, 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 and great and wonderful, and it should be. There are some others. Um, uh, I set before you this day, life and death, choose life. That's a, uh, another major one that, that's used, and uh, both of those are good. This passage is good for that theme, and that's why they chose it. It was why it was a part of our curriculum this morning. It, it speaks clearly to the sanctity of life, from the moment of conception and actually even before conception, before a child is conceived or even born, that life is precious. And abortion is a blight on our society like, we have, like nothing we have had since slavery. It is the modern-day slavery, the modern-day Holocaust. And sadly, we still have slavery in parts of the world, including our own country, in the form of uh, sex trafficking and uh, uh, other forms of it. It's a, abortion is, is a heinous crime and, 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 and should be ended in our country. We are one of three countries in the world that allow abortion past, I believe it's 13 or 14 weeks. Um, one of three countries. The, the other two are such upstanding countries as... North Korea and China, and, and, and us. We are the third country that allows a, a mother to take the life of her child all the way up to uh, birth. It needs to end. It is an, a heinous act, but we need to understand as people of Scripture, as people of the Bible, that as horrible and heinous as abortion is, the, the greater loss in our lives, in our communities, in our culture, in our world is, is not the loss of the life of an infant, as horrible as that is. It's actually the loss of a soul to hell. That's worse. And, and I, that maybe that strikes you as, well, 
at least on the surface, eh. but it is. I, I could make the argument that, and it doesn't defend abortion, but that an infant, I believe, and I believe Scripture teaches, goes to be with the Lord at its, at its death. Boy, girl, you know, at its, that's why I say it, it's a person, not a thing, at his or her death. So I, I believe that with all my heart doesn't make it okay. But when we're discussing things like anything in the culture, abortion in this case, or at least on this Sunday, we have to remember that the greater loss is any person who dies without Jesus Christ. That is the greater loss. And we absolutely should use this verse to fight uh, against uh, abortion, uh, certainly the way we have it in the U.S., but in any circumstance, I am pro-life. And we should use this verse to preach against it, to, to speak against it. We should use other verses to preach and speak against it. We also should be compassionate and loving to mothers who felt like they had no other choice and have, have, have made that decision, the vast majority of whom regret that decision. We need to be loving and concerning, uh, uh, concerned and caring for those people, for them. We don't scream at them, call them murderers, say hateful things to them. We try to be compassionate, hopefully change their minds before the hand, and be there for them if we didn't on the other side of it. But we missed the point of this verse in particular, and, and when I chose this passage, again, abortion and sanctity of life Sunday was not the direction I was planning on going at all, because the point of this verse is to see the sovereignty of God and his perfect purpose and plan in saving the lost for himself. Again, that doesn't take away from, and we're going to talk about it in great detail this morning, doesn't take away from how intimately we are known prior to even our conception and how important this verse is to speak against abortion, but we cannot miss the intent of the passage. The intent of the passage was not against abortion. The intent of the passage was for God, was for us to see who we are as creations of His. So we look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 this morning. And the psalmist writes, it's probably David, says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. The title of the message this morning is Made, Known, and Planned. And that was an easy title to come up with because it's actually the three points of the sermon. Uh, and that's the, the three points, I believe, of this passage we are made, we are known, and we were planned. We see in verses 13 through 14 that we were made. It says, For you were, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you 
because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. This passage tells us clearly that God was intimately involved in who we are. I don't believe, I don't think, anyway, that, that at every conception that God comes off of his throne and rolls up his sleeves and gets his, his, his little really delicate tweezers and starts putting us together in the womb. I don't think that's how it works. God has planned and created the processes, and I ain't getting into all that, but the, the processes that get us there. God's done that work already, but he is intimately involved, intimately knowledgeable in who we are. He, uh, we are no accident of random cells or genetic coupling. That's how it works, right? Half, half of us is uh, on one side. I'm trying to be delicate here. A half of us is on the other, and then when that comes together, it, it seems random when the, the chromosomes start matching up. And then once it's done, those chromosomes match up, then we start splitting, then we start splitting the cells and it, it, it slowly, nine months, creates all these parts of us. Seems random. It's not. It's not an accident. Who you are is not an accident. The psalmist actually says here, and some of you may, if you're still, if you're using King James, I think it may say it this way. For it was you who created my kidneys. Anybody's King James say you created my kidneys? Nope, they took that out. Okay, even back, I'm hearing a ring. John, are you hearing that? Okay. Um, and, and let me just, since I, I mentioned that, the, uh, the words on the screen... That was my fault. That's not our, uh, uh, wasn't our, our, our producer up there. We're still working all these bugs out. This stuff is still all brand new to us. So we're, we're gradually getting these things done. So you're still going to see wrong words or hear ringing or something like that as we go, as we figured it all out. So, yeah, the psalmist actually says, you created my kidneys, not my inward parts. The literal translation is kidneys, and that is an odd odd organ to choose for, for the psalmist to talk about his inward parts and to talk about him being known so intimately why the kidneys well turns out for the ancients the, the kidneys were the source of consciousness thinking and emotions you you read other parts of scripture uh, uh, especially sometimes in the king james version it will say my in my belly uh, they, they felt something, felt their emotions. The seat of the emotions for uh, these folks was the belly. Because where do you feel things when you get excited? In your belly. You get butterflies, right? So that kind of makes sense. And, you know, oh, well, when I got excited, I felt it in my belly. So this must be where everything is. Well, in a similar fashion, the kidneys, because of uh, kidney problems, if you get dehydrated, and of course, they didn't quite understand all the inner workings, but they understood if you didn't get enough water and, and if your kidneys started failing, if the insides, because they knew what the insides looked like, they killed people before, um, they, they knew you get delirious 
if you get dehydrated, and, and, and kidney problems can cause you to go into a coma. So they knew something went wrong in here, and the person lost consciousness. Therefore, consciousness must be in here. So it, they, they, they actually, it makes sense, and what he's saying is, you understand, you created my consciousness. You created my inner self. God created our personalities, our characters, and our characteristics. God created our intellect. So if people don't like your personality, I've never experienced that personally, but sometimes some people don't like other people's personalities. Well, that's the personality God gave you. Now, does some of us need to tone it down a bit on some of our personality type? Well, probably, yeah. But that is still the way God made us. God created our personalities. God created our characteristics. So he's talking first about our inside, who we are, and then he talks about our outside. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Again, it's imagery to show how intricately and intimately involved God is, uh, yet I don't, he doesn't, doesn't have two knitting needles that he does every every birth knit me together says we are physically designed by God this is what we are supposed to look like now we we need to understand that there's a difference between our flesh and our flesh uh, the New Testament, Paul especially, but the Old Testament too, talks about how we sin in our flesh, how our flesh pulls us away, how our flesh does all these things. But there's a difference between our flesh, meaning the meat stuff we're made of, and our fleshliness, which is what Paul is talking about when he says flesh. Our fleshliness is a detriment, but our flesh is good. When God created humans, what did he say? Well, I like the trees, cows are cool, horses are nice, ain't the blue whales awesome? But these people, dead gum. Didn't really get that right, did I? Should have left them in the microwave a little bit longer. No, he didn't say anything. It was we he created us and it was very good. Everything he was he created was good, and then people were very good. It, there's no duality between flesh and spirit. And some people will say there is. I, there, there's a group of, of, we'll call them Christians, just put parentheses around the name, uh, that say, I can do anything with my body that I want to because it's my spirit that matters. My spirit, my soul is saved, so my flesh is free to do whatever. A duality. They're not connected. The Bible doesn't teach that. We are uh, we're connected. Our body and our souls, our bodies and our souls are connected. So our spirits aren't good, and our so uh, our bodies are are bad. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Everything about us is good, and, and more than just our innermost being being created by God, more than, more than just our outermost being being created by God. We owe our very existence. Why we're here, we owe to God. It, we just got out of Christmas. Most of y'all probably watched It's a Wonderful Life. And the whole purpose of that movie is to show that George Bailey not only had a wonderful life, but he was necessary 
for the community around him and his family. There was a reason he existed. We are, he, he owed, the, the theme of the movie was he owed his existence to God because God had a purpose and a plan for him. He goes to that bridge to throw himself off of it because he thinks he's worthless or at the very least worth more dead than alive. $500 insurance policy. And if he dies, Mary gets it and they get to fix the house and have the nice life he's already planned for them. But the moral of the movie and the testimony of Scripture is that God creates nothing worthless. There's nothing that he creates that's throwaway. God creates nothing haphazardly. There's nothing that's accidental. There's no unplanned pregnancy. There's no accidental conception. Because God has planned it all. God is intimately involved in it. It is not haphazard. And God creates nothing unnecessarily. If God creates it, it has a purpose. And that's what Scripture is telling us here, that God has created us. God has put us together. Now, our physical defects, we're all familiar with them. And our failings in our fleshliness are a result of sin, not poor design. Uh, Ford had a couple of, well, more than that, bombs when it comes to vehicles. And you can go back through the years, and, 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 and I, uh, was the Nash, that wasn't a Ford vehicle, it was the Nash Motor Company, if I'm not mistaken. That was not a great car. The... Uh, uh, oh gosh, I've lost the name of it. There was another one about the same time that was awful. Then you get to the 70s, you get the Pinto. Fine automobile, right? Ugly as sin and never worked is what I understand. I'm too young to remember the Pinto. All of y'all that nodded, mm-hmm, you just gave away your age. Mid-70s, something like that. Awful, awful car. And now it's, it's, it's kind of nerdy, cool to have one. Oh, you got a Pinto, it, you know. But then everybody knew, it's a junk car. It, was, it wasn't put together well. It didn't last. It was just, it wasn't designed well. It was ugly. That's not how God creates. Ford messed up. God does not. There is no accidental, uh, there's no mistake in our design our problems are because of sin, not because the designer didn't translate from paper to product the way he had intended. And just in case we're not sure of that, the psalmist goes on to say in, in, the, in verse 14, I'll praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Now it's interesting, this can also be translated, I praise you because you are remarkable and wonderful. It, there's debate based on the, the translation of the Hebrew. Is he talking about us being remarkable and wonderful? Or is he talking about God being remarkable and wonderful? Well, I contend that it doesn't matter because it's both. God being remarkable and wonderful makes remarkable and wondrous things. We are a picture of who he is. I mean, we just begin with the, the biological intric intricacies of our bodies. That tells us that we are 
remarkable and wonderful. All the different things that our bodies do on a daily basis that we are not aware of. And then we, we break it down into what intelligent, intelligent design scientists call irreducible complexity. Meaning that there are parts of us, and, and not just us, they, they begin with the flagellum of a paramecium. Boy, you didn't know you were going to get a biology lesson this, a microbiology lesson this morning. Paramecium is just a little single-celled organism. Got little hairs on the outside of it, little microscopic hairs, and, and, and just the basic parts of a cell on the inside. You've got the nucleus and the mitochondria and a couple other little things, you know, all the all stuff inside. But in order to move through the water, it's got a propeller called a flagellum. It's a tail. And that tail is in a spiral shape, and it propels by spinning. It's, a, it's an outboard motor is what it is. Actually, it's a, more of an inboard motor because the, the motor is on the inside of the cell. And it only has about three or four parts when you look at it. Just that little tail and the little motor on the inside that spins it. The problem is if you take away any one of those parts, three or four parts, the tail doesn't work. It's not a motor anymore. As a matter of fact, it becomes a hindrance to the existence of the cell. It's, it's, uh, it weighs it down. It slows it down. It's got to have all four parts. I think it's four. All four parts to work right. It's irreducibly complex. We can jump to our own eyeballs now, getting back to us. Our eyeballs are irreducibly complex. The, the components of our eye could not have evolved separately because they don't make sense separately. They don't do the things they need to do separately. They have to come together at once in order to perform their function. They had to be connected at the same time, all working together at once in order to be an eye that actually sees the way we see. We see his hand in the intricacy of the way we're created. We are created in his image, remarkable and wonderful. God is remarkable and wonderful. Therefore, when he created us, we are created remarkable and wonderful. Because Paul, uh, rather, David says, your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. We are remarkable and wonderful, created by a remarkable and wonderful God. That means that every one of us, every one of you, is loved and special and important to God with a future in Him. What that also means is that every person ever conceived, not just born, is special and loved and important to God with a future in Him. Now, the fact that our acts and our actions, some of them anyway, a lot of them probably aren't wondrous, that we don't live up to our design and our creation, well, that's the result of the sinfulness of the created, not the inadequacy of the creator. Any shine that has been taken off of us, our remarkableness and our wondrousness, any shine that has been taken off is the result of sin. We don't start out, start out dull. We start out shiny and new. And then sin takes us down the road that removes that remarkable and wondrous nature. 
We are made and we are known. Number two, verses 15 and uh, the first part is 16. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Now, we weren't created in in the earth, but we are from dirt. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From dirt you came to dirt you're going. We're all going to be worm food someday. That's the way it works. We were created in dirt. Even though we were conceived in the womb. We, we come from the earth, David is saying here. And he says, my bones were not hidden from you even when I was still dirt. Even This goes back a long way. It's been a long time since you and I were dirt. Not so long before we are again, but it's been a long time since we were. And God knew us then, he says. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Nothing about us is hidden from God. Nothing. He knows everything there is to know about us, whether it's good or bad. God knows it all. He even knew us when there seemed to be nothing to know. When you were just a twinkle in your daddy's eye... No, before that, when there weren't no twinkle, before there was a mama and a daddy, God still knew you. He knew everything about you. He knew everything he, that you would be. When there was nothing to us yet, not even a thought, he knew everything we would be. Everything we would do, everything we would say, everything we would think. And that should terrify us. God knows us that intimately. There's no secret sin. We may not know, but God does. There's no hidden thought. You may not say it out loud, though some of you do. You may not say it out loud, but God knows the thought. God knows everything about you, and he knows how sinful you are. When the rest of us think, "Eh, that's a pretty good person, God knows the inner thoughts. He knows how depraved we are. He knows how bad we are because we know how bad we are. We know the truth about us, whether anybody else does or not. We also know from Scripture that God's wrath is poured out on sin. So I know my sinfulness, and the Bible tells me that God's wrath will be poured out on sin. Therefore, God's wrath is going to be poured out on me. I can't hide my sinfulness from God. Therefore, I will receive his wrath. Because he knows me. And that is terrifying, or it should be. But then, it should also bring us extreme comfort. God knows us that well. And knowing all the things that he knows about us, he has never left us nor forsaken us. Knowing all the things he knows about us, he sent his son to save us anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as I've said before, that means all the sinners... Excuse me, all the sinners who have never trusted Christ and will never trust Christ, I believe Christ died for. 
while they were sinners and continued to be sinners and continued to be sinners. And when I say sinners here, I'm talking about unrepentant, unregenerated sinners. I am a repentant, regenerated sinner. I still sin, but my classification is no longer as sinner. My classification is as saved. But some people are classified as sinners and will be till the day they die. And at that point, they have the wrath of God poured out on them. Because I am a saved sinner, I will live a life that still sins but hopefully gets better over time. And when I die, I do not have God's wrath poured out on me because I have the blood of Jesus already on me. It should bring extreme comfort to us that God knows who we are. And he never leaves us. Believer, sinner who is saved, God knows who you are. And he never leaves you. In the, in the middle of the night, what, what, what was it? Uh, uh, in desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Just the speaking of the name, just that calling out, and God shows up. It should bring us extreme comfort that God knows us, and it should bring us great joy that God knows everything about us. He made me. He, he knows me. He knew what I would be, and he made me anyway. He, he knew everything that I would do, and he stuck with me. He knew all the sins I would commit after I got saved, and he still drew me by his Holy Spirit to Christ so that I would receive Christ and accept salvation from him. He knew all of that, and knowing all of that, and, and it would have been easy, and, and, and sometimes I think it almost would have been better, if at the point of salvation, God had said, all right, let's just go ahead and end this now so that, that you know, you're good. You don't mess anything else up over the next however many years. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that to any one of us. He, we are saved. He knows us. He knows what we will be. And yet he still has a plan to use us. He still has a plan to use me. Knowing everything about me, God still loves me. And has a plan for me. Knowing everything about you. God still loves you. And has a plan for you. Let's go back. He knew everything we would be. And he created us anyway. And that just doesn't compute for most of us. Certainly the folks that didn't turn out the way we think they should have. But their opportunities were there. It should bring us joy that God knows us and by his grace and mercy forgives us and will use us anyway. The, the intimate, this intimate knowledge of who we are means that God knows better than anyone what we truly need in order to fulfill his plan and purpose. 
God has a plan for your life. I've said that. God has a purpose for you. He knows who you are. Therefore, he knows what you need along the way in order to fulfill that plan. And, of course, the first thing he needs for, you need in order to fulfill that plan is Jesus. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to surprise you at the end. And thirdly, we are made, we are known, and third, we are planned. Verse 16. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Now, that's pretty clear, right? Even knowing what you really are, God has a plan for your life. Have I said that this morning? I'm going to say it some more times. God has a plan for you. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. And he knows everything in between. And throughout that in-between, he is going to be right alongside you, just as close as your soul, a breath, a word away. And he is going, as you go over here, nope, we're going back this way. But you're going to see something pretty over there. Nope, come back over here. And squirrel, nope, you're going to come. And he is going to be there guiding you along that purpose, that plan, that path that he has for you. Because he knows how you wander. Prone to wander Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And he says, but I love you more. So I'm here. I have a plan. I am going to direct your steps if you will allow him. That's crazy thing about balancing these two things that don't seem to balance. God's sovereignty his control over everything, and yet his allowance of us to make choices. And I don't know, I, I don't fall the extreme of either one of those. I'm in this difficult, messy, hard to explain middle that says, yes, he controls everything, and yet he allows us to make choices that contradict his plan. He has the plan, and he's allowing us to go against it, which, in fact, is actually a part of his plan. Think about that for a little while over lunch while you're chewing. That's the way God works. He knows the beginning and the end. So that means, one more time, you are purposeful. You are no accident. You were planned. Your presence here this morning was planned. You're, you're watching online this morning or later in the week because something came up, you're sick, you couldn't, whatever. You, 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 that was planned. That was all part of the book. That was all known to God before you were ever born. And if you are purposeful, if you are no accident, if you are planned, if all of our days are written in his book, then we are an important part of what God wants to do in his kingdom. This church is a part of what God wants to do in his kingdom. Your membership, your involvement in this church is a part of what God wants to do in his kingdom. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for you. We talked about a little bit the plan for this church last week, at least for the next year as we can see it. You have a part to play in what this church will be in God's kingdom. That's because you have a plan with God as well. The question, because while he has a plan, he allows us to choose in a way that does not defy or deny his sovereignty. 
does not defy or deny his foreknowledge, does not deny or defy his choosing, his, his predestination of us, we still get to choose somehow. Choose this day who you will serve. There are two set before you, life and death. Choose life. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is how will I be used? Because make no mistake, God will use his creation for his glory. Every part of it. Every person will be used for his glory. How will you be used though? Will you deny your creator? We're just an accident. We're just, you know, uh, after enough tries, uh, uh, natural selection and evolutionary processes figured this out. It didn't figure it out. Let's not give a brain to the evolutionary process. Happened to land upon this. I just, I cannot get there personally. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, though I think Scripture probably is not as free with this as some are, but that's okay. I, I think you can go with God evolved things. God chose to use evolution as his mechanism, but it's always, 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 always going to start with God. We are his creation. He is in charge. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I've told you all this before, in my moments of doubting salvation, in my moments of going, really? I mean, just, just all of it, uh, not, not just a, a little bit, the whole thing. And maybe I'm confessing too much. To, Michael, you have doubts about the Bible? If you don't, you're lying, I think. I mean, maybe you are super, super good, and, and you've never questioned, really? Is it Really? I do, I have. It's not often. And most of the time it's not even true doubt, like crisis of faith sort of doubt. It's just I'm sitting around doing nothing, and like most men I can think about nothing at some point. And so when I'm thinking about nothing, I go, ooh, I'll think about that. Is it all true? What if, what if the Muslims are right? What if the Hindus are right? What if the Buddhists are right? What if we're the wrong ones? You know where I go back? Creation. I cannot, I can't fathom an evolutionary process that comes up with this. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. I know that. But I cannot go back and say, and you all know how good I am at math. But I do understand, as best I can, mathematical probability. How probable is it that this sort of accident could happen this many times in order to create this one thing? And, and, and the math just doesn't work. I go back to creation and I say, there has to be a God. And if there's a God that can create all of this do all of this and, 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 and work it out and, 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 and we look deeper and deeper and deeper and, and what was floating around social media the last couple of days was a, a picture from the Hubble to telescope back when they, not long after they put it up and fixed the lens. Um, they focused on this little, I've forgotten how big it was when you looked at the sky. It was like a, 
just a little centimeter or something like that, next to the moon. It was a black spot in the sky that, that we saw. And even from Hubble, they pointed at this little black spot. See, there's nothing there. And they let it, let it bring in light, let it focus for four months, if I remember correctly. And what they found was when they finally shut the, closed the shutter, the picture was taken. You look in that picture and you see all these dots. Hundreds of them. I think they said probably thousands of them. And they're not stars, they're galaxies. Thousands of galaxies that contain billions and trillions of stars each. As a matter of fact, one galaxy they saw that theoretically, according to physics, shouldn't exist. It's too big. And yet there it sits. Or there it was, because you're looking, I mean, that took a long time for that light to get there. There has to be a God. And if there has to be a God, and I think there has to be, would he intentionally allow his creation to be so confused about how to get to know him? Or is there one religion, one faith path, whatever you want to call it, that is right? Which one, looking rationally, which one seems righter? Well, I see a lot of religions that depend on the person. And God is fickle, God is absent, God is whatever. And then I come to the Bible. I don't find a God that's absent. I find a God that is intimately involved. I don't find a God that is uh, fickle and changes his mind. And one day it's this and one day it's that. I find a God who is consistent throughout Scripture. I found a, find a God of grace and mercy, not a God of revenge and judgment. We do find a God of wrath. There will be judgment on sin. But I find a God that provides a way that doesn't depend on us. Certainly not our efforts, not our works. Our response, our belief, but not our works. Will you, this morning, will you deny your creator? Will you push away him who loves you even though he knows you who knows you best and still loves you you're going to push that person away well that's what we do with god will you ignore the plan that is put in place by the one that mapped your days will you say i am mine and no others i'm the master of my fate will your dying breath be i did it my way. Right? I've, I've read you those lyrics before. And you know what doing it my way does? Sends me right to my hell. But if we do it God's way, will you submit to the one who made you, knows you, knows you and loves you anyway, and has a plan for your life? The one who loves you enough to send his son to die for you. This plan for your life, your purpose in life, the, the days written in your book and planned before a single one of them began, has to begin with Jesus Christ. Has to begin with an acknowledgement of your inability to do what God wants you to do until you have a relationship with him. 
See, followers of Jesus and those who reject him are both used by God. Paul writes to Timothy and said there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. God uses them. They're both purposeful. They're both used, but they are some for glory and some for destruction. In what manner, or better yet, from what position will, be, will you be used? God made you for himself. Come to Jesus and be saved by the one who made you, knows you, loves you, and has a perfect plan for your life. How do you come to him for salvation? Romans 6.23 sums it up for us best. It says, for the wages of sin is death. I'm a sinner. Uh, we know that. You're a sinner. You know that. And we will suffer God's wrath for that. Our sinfulness, our fleshliness, right? We talked about that. Is deserving of God's wrath. That is our wage. That's what we've earned. But the religion, the, the faith that says, but God... The others, they don't say that. They, 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 it's, it's, they kind of hang out there on either the wrath or, well, you're good enough no matter what. Both things are, are, are a, 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 a perversion of Scripture. But the gift of God. How many of y'all earned your Christmas gifts? None of you. I, I know he saw you when you were sleeping and when you were awake and all that, but truth is, he was just nice. Just merciful. He gave you presents anyway. You didn't earn them. You weren't good enough. God is greater even than that. You're not good enough to earn your salvation. The gift of God is eternal life. Forgiveness for our sins. Eternal life means we get to spend eternity with him. We don't get to be with God because of our sins. So if... We get to be God, with God for, for eternity. Something has been done with our sin. And that's the third part. In Christ Jesus our Lord. When Christ hung on that cross, uh, we sang about it. it was it tis so sweet? It, it, no, it was living hope. Bear our shame. Wear our sin. That, that was him. Our punishment was placed on him. On the cross, we can have salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and accept the salvation that is offered because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you be used by the God who made you? Unbeliever, you never trusted Jesus. Do that this morning. Believer, be used by him and quit fighting. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your work in our lives, thank you for your continued use of us. Thank you that even though you know us, you love us. Because some of the time, the truth is, I know me and I don't love me. You know me and you love me anyway. God, thank you for that grace and mercy. Thank you for the truth of who you are in your word. Thank you that amongst all the competing ideas of who you are and the, the, the paths, quote, to get to you, that you have made clear your path.
the path that does not depend on our ability, our efforts, but on the work of the Savior on the cross. God, I pray this morning that if there's somebody here or somebody listening who has never accepted the salvation through Jesus Christ that you offer, they would do that today. Surrender to the one who made them, knows them, and has a perfect plan for their lives. And for believers this morning who we've wandered, we struggle, what is my purpose, what is my plan? God, we, your word is clear. If we spend time with you in your word and in prayer, you will let us know what our purpose and plan is in your kingdom. But this morning, I pray we everyone walk away knowing I have a part to play in what God wants to do in his kingdom. And for many of us, for most of us, I dare say all of us here, it's a part to play in this church body, this church family. God, use us for your glory. Speak to us this morning and change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how should you respond today? Well, accept salvation through Jesus Christ, of course. That's the first thing you need to get right. Maybe you've done that, but you need to be baptized. Follow in obedience and baptism. We'd love to talk to you about that. We're going to be baptizing here in just a few weeks. Uh, so we're going to have our uh, discovery class probably in two Sundays, so not next week, but the next. So in order to be baptized, you need to go through that. In order to join our church, you need to go through that. Maybe that's what you need to do. Be a part of our church. Be a part of this body of faith and the kingdom work that we're involved in. Maybe as a believer, you need to conform your life to Christ. Conform your life to his plan. Submit to his plan and purpose in your life. If you've made that decision, any of those decisions today, we want you to share that with us. Tom will be down here at the front. We have some men along the back, some of our deacons uh, along the back that would love to talk to you about that. If you're watching online from home or on TV, you can email us at the church, message us on Facebook or YouTube, chat with us, whatever. Just let us know of your decision today. And may we all see our purpose, our role in God's plan and follow him.